In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. This is the fourth Sunday of Easter, which is traditionally Good Shepherd Sunday. Easter is a love story. It's a love story about God's love for His people. And one of the ways in which He shows and expresses and describes that love is in describing Himself as the shepherd and us as the sheep. And while it's a beautiful love story, calling us sheep isn't necessarily a compliment. Right? Sheep are, uh, to put it politely, not smart. Right? Sheep don't know how to protect themselves. They don't know how to protect themselves from predators. And they are constantly getting themselves into situations in which they cannot extract themselves. And they need the shepherd to protect them. And the shepherd to lead them into green pasture. The sheep, if you will, is an animal who knows what's right in front of him. The sheep knows that the grass is green and thinks the grass will always be that green. Or the sheep sees that it's a dry patch and thinks it's always going to be a dry patch. Just as you and I often are so focused on uh, what's in front of us or the way life is, we can't imagine it being a different way. We can't uh, manufacture our own hope because we don't have a place to stand and to see in order to have that hope. And that's what our Lord the Shepherd does for us. The Shepherd knows where the green pasture is and can lead us there even if the path can be a difficult one, even if the path would lead us through dangers and even if the path would lead us on rocky ground, the Lord is going to bring us into good pasture if we would trust Him and allow ourselves to see the way He sees outside of time and space with this broad ability to see uh, the good that He is bringing us into faithfully. Our lack of vision and our lack of understanding about this long vision is what we read uh, from the prophet Nehemiah. The people uh, forget about what the Lord has done for them. If you remember, the prophet Nehemiah is writing at about 500 B.C. And this is a time of them returning from exile. You'll remember that there is the United Kingdom of Israel. You remember the King Saul and David and Solomon. They're over this great historic golden age of Israel. In about 1000 B.C., they have a large kingdom and they have security on their borders and they have uh, good rule and they worship the Lord in Solomon's first temple built there in Jerusalem. But Solomon's son, Rehoboam, is a fool. And they quickly fall into civil war. And the kingdom of Israel is divided into the northern kingdom of Israel in the north and the southern kingdom of Judah in the south with its capital, Jerusalem. And the northern kingdom falls very early, in about 800 B.C., to the Syrians in the north. And they get renamed Samaria or the Samaritans. That southern kingdom lasts a little bit longer until finally the Babylonians come west and they take over that southern kingdom. And this is what we call the Babylonian exile. In about 580 BC, the Babylonians siege Jerusalem and they take with them the most precious jewels and gifts of Jerusalem and the leading Israelites, those who have the, the greatest learning and ability, men like Daniel, and they bring them out into that exile in Babylon. And they're there for about 70 years. And while they're in Babylon, the Babylonians get taken over by the Persians. And it's the first Persian king, Cyrus, who says that he's going to allow the Jews to go back to Jerusalem, back to the southern kingdom of, of, of Judah, and to reestablish the, the borders of the city of Jerusalem and to reestablish the temple in Jerusalem for worship. 
And while there are priests like Ezra, who is closely tied with Nehemiah, who work very hard, it's laymen that really are the heroes of this story. Laymen like Nehemiah. And I think it's important for us to stop and just to recognize the essential role that lay people have in the worship of God, the essential role that they have in being men like Nehemiah who can stand up and who can organize the people and who can set rules and limits, who can remind them of the rule of God, who can uh, defend them against their enemies and who can clarify the, the work that's being done. And this is what Nehemiah does. He constantly reminds the people when they get um, disappointed and when they get frustrated, he reminds them of the work of God and he organizes them to rebuild those walls and to reestablish worship in the temple. Their rebuilding of the temple starts what we call the second temple period that brings us to the time of Christ. And as they reestablished temple worship, they rediscovered the scriptures. And we read about Ezra standing on this wooden platform and reading the scriptures to the people and about their response to that reading of scripture. They begin to weep and cry because they realize the righteousness that God has called them into and their failure in responding to that. And they, they weep and they, they begin to say, we have to celebrate the feast of the Lord. We have to remember the Passover and we have to remember um, his calling to us. And one of the feasts that they had forgotten was this uh, late summer feast called Sakat or the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths that they're celebrating when we read here in Nehemiah chapter 9. This is in the middle of the Feast of the Booths or Tabernacles. What were they doing in that feast? They were reminding themselves of their time in the wilderness. Again, we forget about these things and we have to be reminded over and over again about how the Lord has saved us and brought us out. So in the festival of booze or tabernacles, they would uh, go into their yards or into their pastures and they would build tents or lean-tos with branches and they would live in these tents and remember their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness under Moses. And at the end, they would light lamps to remember the light that the Lord had brought to them and that pillar of fire and of cloud to lead them through the wilderness. And so uh, Nehemiah is telling them and reminding them that the Lord has shepherded them. He's brought them from Abraham to the promised land and from Egypt up out of the promised land. And he's continually had their hand on them, though they, they've just come out of exile and though they've had these great dangers and difficulties. The Lord is still um, blessing them and leading them through this wilderness. And we have no greater example of the Lord being our shepherd and providing for us, of course, than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 500 years after that reestablishment of the second temple, God comes in uh, the form of man. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he says, uh, not that he is sending a shepherd. He says, I am the shepherd of the sheep. I am your shepherd. And my sheep know my voice. That cuts both ways. He speaks to us. But if we're going to be his sheep, that means that we listen and recognize his voice and respond. His sheep hear his voice. We hear and we recognize and we respond. And when we respond to God's love, when we respond to his call of love and sacrifice, we become his sheep. Jesus compares himself to the thief and he's doing that 
for the religious leaders of the day because the religious leaders of the day, as is always a temptation for those that stand up in authority in front of people, is always to say, look at me, look at how great I am, aren't I wonderful? And this is what the religious leaders of the day were doing. They were saying, aren't we wonderful? Look at us and hold us up as a great example. And Jesus is saying, you're a thief in doing that because you're stealing the glory from God and you're not properly understanding what a shepherd is. A shepherd doesn't take glory for himself. A shepherd sacrifices himself for the sheep. And so he says, enemies are constantly coming into the people of God, right? Coming and trying to take their attention away from God himself, trying to take their energy away from God himself, trying to steal them away. And, and, and if, have we ever lived in a time and place where um, it's so easy? The enemy doesn't have to do anything to steal our attention. We give it away for free, don't we? We tempt ourselves away from him instead of waiting upon the Lord. And he says the enemy comes in, but they don't listen to his voice. The second thing that he says here in this figure is he says that he's the door. What does he mean by that? If they were in a small set community or in a, a village, there would be an actual fence for a pasture that would be built. And maybe a group of buildings would be uh, built around a common courtyard where the sheep could be kept. But when the shepherd would have to take the sheep out into the pasture at night, it would be very difficult to keep the sheep all together. And so some kind of, of geological formation would be have to found to, to keep the sheep in a, a ravine or a swaley or an outcropping of rocks. And in an outcropping of rocks, the shepherd would lead the sheep into this place, but then there would always be the path where the sheep could come back out. And so at night, the shepherd would lay himself across the pathway of this outcropping so that the sheep couldn't get out at night and so that a predator couldn't get in. The shepherd makes himself the door. He is keeping the sheep in the pasture safe and he is protecting them from the predator. And this is our call as shepherds to lay down our life for the sheep. And St. Peter describes this role. He says that we turn to God who is the bishop and shepherd of our souls. Now I want you to look for a minute uh, at this uh, reading from 1 Peter chapter 2 at the very bottom of the page because you'll see that it says overseer. Let me just take a minute to, to vent here, if you don't mind my, my doing that. Uh, you know, the, the King James Version, that was written, of course, by good Anglicans, says bishop and shepherd, because the Greek word here is episkopos, right? We are episcopal. We are led by bishops. But some progressive Christians have decided that that should be translated as overseer. Has anybody ever been to a church with overseers? I haven't, but we've had bishops for 2,000 years. This is bishop of our souls. He's reminding us that we are called to be bishops. We're called to be shepherds of the people. And as bishops and shepherds, we're called to live like Christ, to follow in his steps as his example, which, when you think about it, makes you think, why are there any Christians at all? Right? Don't you read this and read about suffering and say, why would anybody sign up for that? This religion is saying, follow in Christ's footsteps. What happened to him? He was crucified, right? He suffered a gruesome death. And he's saying that we should follow in his steps. 
Why would we do that? Why would we voluntarily suffer? Now there's one truth of suffering that St. Peter brings up here, right? He says um, that, that we should be careful that we endure sorrow and suffering for justice, not for unjustice. And the point that Peter is making is none of us are getting out of this life without suffering. We're all going to suffer. The question is, how are we going to suffer? Right? If a bus is coming down the road and I step off of the sidewalk and I get hit by the bus, I'm suffering. If I do it because I didn't look where I was going and I get hit by that bus, that is suffering unjustly, right? I was foolish in my suffering. We could all agree to that, right? Many people suffer in life. They say, oh, hard things are happening and the Lord must uh, want something from me or you know, this must be the Lord's doing. No, right? It's my stupidity. It's not the Lord's stupidity that made me step off and not look where I was going. That was mine. I'm suffering because of my stupidity. If a bus is coming and I'm a shepherd and I'm aware of my surroundings and I see somebody in the road and I step out to save their life and while saving their life I get hit by a bus, we call that person a what? A hero. Both guys got hit by a bus. One's a fool, the other's a hero. We all know that. We all know that suffering is going to happen. The question is, are we going to do it out of love for another person and take the hero's life, the life of Christ, that's the center of every good story that you know? I dare you to tell me any wonderful, inspiring story that you know that doesn't have suffering laying down one's life for one's friends at the center of it. Are we going to be shepherds who are aware of our surroundings to lay down our life, or are we going to suffer for our own stupidity. It's our choice. And St. Peter says that the heart of this is what we think freedom is. Because some people think freedom is doing whatever you want, whenever you want, whatever feels good. Right? This leads to laziness and foolishness. It leads to the way that I play basketball, which is not well. Right? I can make a shot from very close if nobody's standing between me and the basket. Right? Steph Curry, however, can make a shot from anywhere on the court, right? He can shoot from midcourt, he can shoot a layup with ten, six, six foot, seven guys in front of him, right? That's freedom. He can shoot wherever he wants, whenever he wants. Does that come from just doing whatever he wants? No, it comes from sacrifice. It comes from discipleship, discipline. It comes from sacrifice and laying down himself for the good of what can come. And this is what we're being called into as Christians, and this is at the heart of why from one man laying down his life, from God sacrificing himself, we have been called to be a people of shepherds, to be a community that has said we will lay down our lives for one another. We will lay down our lives for the sheep because we know that the most beautiful life lived is the life of of sacrifice. We know that the most beautiful life is the life of love for one another, to lay down our life for our friends. That is the beauty of the shepherd. That is the beauty of being a sheep. If we would hear his voice and listen for him, he will guide us. The pasture may look dark, it may look dry, the grass may seem brown, he is bringing us into green fields. 
if we would but listen to his voice and allow him to be our shepherd and fall and call upon his name. Amen.